Bruce, it's a joy to be here this morning as always, and uh, you know, Daryl gave me a list to read about him too, but I forgot it, but it was a lot of good stuff, and uh, you really need to be thankful for, for your pastor and his family, and pray for him this week, that God will give him strength. Thank you. I'm, I need one of those. When you get my age, you, you can't hold the Bible that long, and if you use one of those stools, you go to sleep preaching. So we just kind of have to hit a happy medium here, but I am going to stick very close to notes this morning because in this type of lesson we want to bring, it'd be very easy to ramble, and I don't want to do that. A uh, couple of reasons, mainly because Vic offered me $20 if so I wouldn't preach too long, and uh, so I don't want to miss out on that, but I hope this can be a help to you this morning uh, in a lot of ways in, in your life and in, in your church. I read an article this week in the Wall Street Journal. The article was talking about the, the uh, problem that faith-based ministries were having in America because of the situation of the economy and how that churches and other nonprofit organizations were faltering and some going out of existence and most of their ministries suffering greatly because of the economy. And as I read that, to be honest with you, it just kind of, kind of swelled up inside of me a, a sorrow of, of hearing something like that. But at the same time, it kind of hit me, there's something wrong with that article. There's something wrong with a major newspaper in America having to publish an article about our churches and our ministries suffering so much during this economy. And I had to stop and ask myself the question, did I, did I not get the memo? Did God run out of money? Did God go broke in the last few months and I didn't know about it? What happened that caused this kind of a thing? Well, I want to talk to you about that this morning. God wrote this book, had some men of God listen to him as he breathed into them the word of God, and he wrote a perfect book. In this book, it describes a lot of perfect things, all the way back to creation. The creation was a perfect process. Man was a perfect creation. The world was a perfect creation. A man's messed all that up over the years, starting with himself and right on down. It didn't take him long, uh, one day in the Garden of Eden to get it started. But, uh, but everything's perfect. The plan of salvation in the Bible is a perfect plan. Nothing wrong with it. No flaws whatsoever. Also in the Bible, there is a plan called a financial plan, or referred to as a financial plan in the Word of God. And i got news for you. It's just as perfect as all the other things that God wrote in the Word of God. You can take it to the bank. You can, plant, you, you can take it and, and put that plan in your life, and it will work. His plan worked from the very beginning of the world, and it will still work today. The beauty of God's financial plan is, different than man's financial plans, is that it works in good times, but it also works in bad times. My wife bought me a book today, and I started reading about 25 pages of it, uh, on the demise of Countrywide Mortgage Company and what, what caused that to happen. And just the first 20, 25 pages have been so fascinating because it, it, it got you behind it and saw the thinking of these bankers and what they were thinking about at the time that caused the great problem that we have. And it was because they got away from a financial plan that even God talks about in the Bible. But their plan, their financial plan worked in Good times, but it don't work in bad times worth a hoot at all. 
I mean, it's in bad, bad trouble. And so that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments this morning. Now, if we could just learn as Christians the intricacies of God's financial plan, it can literally change your life. I'm serious with you. It really can. I'm not just I'm not I'm telling the truth. I'm not preaching. Okay, Uh, it can change your life if you'll just learn what God is talking about in the Bible. Now, do you believe God's alive? I think he is. God is up to something. God is never idle. He's never sitting back and saying, boy, look at the mess down there. Man, look what people are getting themselves. Look at what's going on. Jesus, what are we going to Holy Spirit, what do you think we ought to God's up to something. He's got a plan. He's always had a plan from before the creation of the world right on through till today. God has a plan and he's working on it. Now, what do you know what that plan is? Do You know what God is really working on? Hard for us to understand because we're not focused like he is. I'm going to give you some scriptures. We're going to use primarily the Amplified Bible today. It's a great uh, uh, study Bible. It takes the Greek and kind of uh, expands it to all the words in the original uh, translation of the Bible, original uh, manuscripts of the Bible, gives you a full meaning for it. I want to give you several verses this morning. First in 2 Corinthians 4.18. Now, if this doesn't agree with what I'm saying, uh, I'm right, okay? And we just get back there real quick and put it all together, so we'll go with it. But I want to look at, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Paul's speaking to a group of Christians here, and he says, Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible are temporal, brief, and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Now, that's the way Christians are supposed to look at things. Whether we do or not, now, that's, that's up for discussion. Most of us do not. We tend to look on the, the temporal things. We tend to, tend to look on the, the, the things that we can feel and touch and see. I've talked out to how many people about the Lord over the years, and they say, "Well, I, you know, I just can't believe in something that I can't put my hands on, that I can't see with my own eyes. I just can't accept something like that." That's human human nature. That's and sometimes that human nature transfers over to the Christian life. Sometimes we as Christians find ourselves doing the same thing. Well, I just can't, you know, I just can't believe something that I can't, you know, pull up on the internet and see what my balance is. I just don't have any faith in something like that. That's our problem. We, we tend to look at those kind of things. Uh, and, but those aren't the real things. The real things are things we can't see. You see, the Christian lives on a totally different dimension than the unsaved. We're, we're in a different world, folks. Now, we rub shoulders, and we're supposed to, and we, we have friends in the world, and that's great. We can bring them to Christ, and, and we intermingle with the world. But we're on a different dimension. We don't think like they do. We're not supposed to. We don't act like they do. We're not supposed to. Our whole philosophy is supposed to be different. It's focused on that which is not seen, where the world is focused on that which is seen. Are you with me so far? Okay, so what is, what is God up to here? What's he doing? Well, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. The Bible says, For from him and through him and to him, are all things, for all things originate with Him and come from Him. All things live through Him and all things center and tend to consummate and to end in Him. To Him is glory forever. What is that telling us? That's telling us that everything 
begins with God, comes to us, and returns to God. Now, that's the circle that we have. We're talking about the financial plan today, so we'll talk about that part of it. But in the realm of finances, all of what we have comes from God. And all of what we have will go back to God. Why? We're just borrowing it. He owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. And so in this circle of things coming from God to earth and back to God, we get to use it while it's here for a short period of time. Now, how we use it, what we use it for, how we get our slice of it as God circulates it through uh, through the, through the, uh, uh, the times that we're here on this earth will depend on our financial plan and the way if we follow it, whether we follow or not God's plan. Now, if our financial plan rests in our bank accounts, our 401Ks, our retirement programs, pensions, all those kind of things, if that's where our financial plan lies, then we really don't have a foundation to build God's financial plan on. I'm not saying it's wrong to have all those things. I had a 401k last year. Don't anymore. <laughs> you know, I had some savings last year, but I don't anymore. But if that's, if that's what we're banking on totally, we don't have a foundation to build God's financial plan on. Okay? We must, and here's the key to this, we must, there's a few, things I, a few things I underlined in yellow that you've got to get. This is one of them. We must get our eyes off of what we have and get our eyes on what He has. Our resources do not come from within us. Our resources come down from Him. Now, if we become... If we, get, if we get to be a co-signer on his checking account, we're pretty rich, aren't we? Did you know we are? We are. And that's what I'm going to tell you, show you this morning. We are co-signers on his checking account. Now, so what is God up to? Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says, Making known to us the mystery, the secret of his will, of his plan, of his purpose. And it is this. In accordance with his good pleasure, his merciful intention, which he had previously purposed and set forth in him, he planned for the maturity of the times and the climax of the ages to unify all things and head them up and consummate them in Christ, both things in heaven and things on the earth. That sounds, that's kind of deep, isn't it? What's God's, what's God up to? What's his overall purpose? What's he trying to accomplish? He's trying to bring together heaven and earth and meet it at the cross in his son. That's what God's up to. And everything God does is to bring these two together. They were together in the Garden of Eden, but they got separated. Man fell. Man disobeyed God. He sinned. And now we have this great, division and God is working to pull that back together through his son Jesus when he was on the cross built the bridge between earth and heaven made a way for that to be brought together and that's what God 
is doing. So that's, 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 that's his purpose. That's what he's accomplishing, to bring that together. And every one of us, listen carefully now, every one of us should be working with God to get that accomplished. Let me tell you why. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness. Now, this is way back in the beginning, before you and I were here or anybody else. God said, we're going to make a man, and we're going to make him after our image. Now, folks, we favor God. We look similar to God in His image. We were made to think like God. We were made to love like God. We were made to live like God. When He created man, He made him in His image. Everything we do is to be like God, like God would do. To live like Christ would live as the Son of God. Now, when man fell, he separated that. But when you get born again, you come back. And you become again the image of God. And the purpose for your life ought to be the same purpose for which God is, is, is carrying out things he's up to. That's why Paul said, Paul said, for me to live is what? Christ. For me, in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? Paul said, I'm going to live in such a way that it's Christ living right through me. And everything I do is what Christ would do. I'm created in the image of God. I'm here for His express purpose, which is bringing heaven and earth together into Christ His Son. And I'm going to spend my life doing that very thing. So, What's God up to? Well, to put it in very simple terms, God is up to putting together a family that will live together in heaven. That's what it's all about. God is creating a family. Some people call it the kingdom of God. That's a biblical term. That's fine. But it's the family of God. He's putting together a family to live together forever. Now, you get to be a part of that family by being a Christian, by being saved, coming to Christ. Accepting the blood of Christ, so forth. You know that. That's how you get to be part of that family that he's building. Every ministry that we participate in ought to be to accomplish what God's trying to accomplish. One of two things, or both. One, bring people to Jesus Christ. Or secondly, teach them to conform to the image of Christ. That's the whole purpose of God. That's what he's trying to do, is build this family to live together like He and the Holy Spirit and His Son live together. Now, in light of all that, let's talk about God's financial plan, that wonderful, miraculous plan that always, always works. I'm going to give you seven truths and then we're done. Seven truths about this, and they're all very, very, very important. Number one, truth number one, God possesses all the wealth in heaven and earth. We mentioned that a moment ago. God owns everything. I first, when, when, you know, we, we hear that. And we say, yeah, 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 that's true. Do you really believe that? I tell you, when, I, when, that thing, when that thing hit me one day and I came to grips with it, I wanted to go home and open my little safe and take out the deed to my property and tear it in half. Say, that's not mine. I don't own that. It's his. We buy a piece of property. And the first thing we do, put a sign up there, no trespassing. 
God's property. It's not yours. Everything we have is God's. It belongs to Him. Not my land is His. It's not my house is His. It's not my car is His. It's not my, my, my savings account. It's His. Everything belongs to Him. It's so trite for God, for, for man to say that something belongs to Him. Now, what do you suppose God wants to do with all these things that He's given us? Everything comes from God down. If you own a car, that's where it came from. If you own a house, that's where it came from. If you've got a savings account, that's where it came from. If you've got a paycheck, that's where it came from. Everything. What do you think God wants to do with all this stuff that He gave us? <laughs> he wants to do this purpose. He's his, his overall purpose. He wants to use it to build His eternal family. That's why we're here. We're not here for any other reason. That's why we have what we have to build His family. Are you with me on that? I'm trying to drag you into God's financial plan. Okay? So stay with me now on it. Everything comes from God and He gives us things to care. He's got one purpose. God is focused. One thing. That's all. He's not interested in anything else. Building that eternal family. That's His focus. So everything He does is for that reason. Oh, God's so good. He just wants us to be happy on earth. Well, happiness is a byproduct of serving God. Not what God wants for you necessarily. It's a byproduct. God wants you to build His family. Oh, it's so nice to have a great church. And it is nice to have a great church and have fun meetings and have great music. All that's wonderful. But it's only got one purpose. God says, hey, you're missing the purpose. It's to build my family. That's what it's all about. That is what God will finance. Now, all of us have a weak spot in spending, don't we? Um, we call it, uh, uh, oh, you know, in, in our family, we call it discretionary spending. Um, I, uh, I like to call it priority spending. You know, it doesn't sound as bad as frivolous spending. But we all have a weakness, don't we? You know, some of us like, you know, biggest, fanciest car we can get with all the little doodads and gadgets on it. Other one, others of us, we like to live in more house than we really need to live in. And others of us, we like to, we like to uh, you know, have things, you know, boats and all this. We like those kind of things. And others of us, we, uh, uh, we, we, like to, we like gadgets, electronic gadgets and so forth. And uh, my son, he's into that kind of stuff. He, he goes down to Fry's and, you know, rents a U-Haul to get it home every time. I mean, he just loves that kind of stuff. That's, our, that's where we spend. We have a weakness towards certain things. Well, God has priority spending too. And God will finance anything that has to do with His sole purpose. That's where God spends His money. What's His purpose? Build that family. Build that family. Build that family. Build that family. God will finance those things that build His family. Whether it be a church, an organization, or you as an individual. Truth number two, God wants his wealth in circulation. God wants his wealth in circulation. I was going to bring a dollar bill with me this morning. I forgot it. But, uh, but a dollar bill, until that dollar bill is spent, it's just a little green piece of paper. Most of them went through the washing machine. Just a rumpled up green. It's not worth anything. I mean, really. A $100 bill is not really worth anything until it's spent. 
That's when the value comes into it. The true nature is wealth. The true nature of wealth is that it cannot be stored. Everything God made, He made to give. Trees give shade and fruit. Animals give fur and meat. Seeds give vegetables. Water gives satisfaction to thirst. Air gives oxygen to starving lungs. Lakes, creeks, and mountains give peace and tranquility. Jesus gave His life so we could have eternal life. And man... Man's basically stingy. God's only creation that's basically stingy is His greatest creation, man. We're basically unsharing. We basically hoard all we can. When man is born again, that part of us should revert back. And we should become a giving person. Give of our life, our time, our efforts, our prayers, our everything, everything that would be for somebody else. Well, we just kind of, you know, we get all we can, boy, and we just get it and grab it and hoard it and just pack off all we can. Oh, you never know what tomorrow might hold. No, we don't. I know who holds tomorrow, and I'm not going to worry too much about it. Okay. Truth number three. All of God's wealth. I love this one. All of God's wealth legally belongs to you. All of God's wealth legally belongs to His children. Romans 8, 17. The Bible says, And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, when I became part of the family, I became an heir to the dad's wealth. When I joined the family of God, I became an heir to the wealth of God. But I did not come, become, what's it say here? He says, we are, we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I'm not just an equal heir. Uh, we have a will and we have five children and our will is divided up, you know, 20% for each one of the five kids. Each one of them is going to get 30 bucks when we die. And uh, it's, it's, it's divided. They're, they're equal heirs. But God says that I'm a joint heir. Now, there's a difference between an equal heir and a joint heir. What's a joint heir? A joint heir is where all of us have access to all of it. Joint heirs with Christ. The sole heir. We're now His joint heir when we become part of his family. That means I have access not just to one five billionth of God's resources, which wouldn't make a difference anyway, but I have access to all of it. Man, what a great truth that is. That means that, 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 that we don't have to split up evenly. It means that we have it all. We, it means that God's bank account overflows with resources. Have you written a check on your estate that's there yet? Your joint heirs to it. Have you written a check on it? No, I'm too busy out there making a living and putting it into my 401k. My 401k, we found out, can go places really fast, can it? Boy, you write a check on Heaven's Bank. <laughs> Doesn't drop the balance at all. Any size check you want to write, write it, and there's still just as much left. Why? All goes around. All goes around. Keeps going around. God has it all. 
He owns it all. We're in charge of spending God's wealth. Did you know that? The Bible Bible calls us stewards. The word steward means one who manages another's property. We are stewards of God. We're here to manage God's property. Wow. Truth number four. Well, you need to get all these down. The way to get God's wealth is to give. That makes little sense to us humans who are used to hoarding in order to accumulate riches. We say the way to get is to save. The way to get is to hoard. The way to get is to be stingy. The way to get, you know, that's our philosophy. But in God's plan of economy, the way to get wealth is to give. You know, some of you are facing some difficult times right now, and I understand that, and a lot of people around the country are. You know, I believe with all my heart that you can give yourself out of debt. I believe you can give yourself out of hard times. I believe you can give yourself out of a, out of a, of a, of a non-balanced budget. Because the more you give, the more God gives back to you. Luke 38, Luke 6, 38. Great pivotal verse in our teaching. Give, now listen to it carefully. Give and gifts will be given to you. Not just be given, but they'll be given in good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, pressed down, running over. They will pour into the pouch formed by the bosom of your robe used as a bag. Back in those days, they wore these big flowing robes and on the inside that have a... The bigger the spoon you use giving out, the bigger the spoon God uses giving in. That's just simple as that. The more you give, the more God's going to give back to you. Here's an interesting verse. I'm not sure he put it up there or not, but Proverbs 19:17 says, "He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord." And that which he hath given, he will pay him again. My wife and I, that changed our thinking one day. Thank you. Is this not working? This off. Okay. Is this on? This isn't on either. One, two. You know, microphones just don't like me. Pardon? Can you hear okay? As long as you can hear, okay. Did I, I didn't turn this off. Did I turn this off when I fell? No. Nope. Maybe it's upside down. Maybe I could stand on my head and preach. All right. Is that better? No? Okay. As long as you can hear, that's fine. We're almost done anyway. Where are we here? Okay, giving to the poor. When, when you give something to somebody in need... It's a loan. Not to them. It's a loan to God. Why? Because that's what God would do if He were here. And since He's not here and you are, you give it and it becomes a loan from Him. And guess what? God always pays His bills. And so He gives it back to you. Just at the close of the 
thing this morning in a few minutes. I'm going to give you an illustration of that in practice and show you how it works. But, but get that down. It's the way God works. You can't give to the poor and have it stay given. It's impossible. You give anything to somebody poor, it comes back to you. Guaranteed. Wow, that's interesting. Truth number five. We are not to give according to what we have, but according to what God has. Oh, this gets pretty this gets pretty heavy now. It's not what I can afford to give, but it's what God can afford to give through me. Does that make a difference in your thinking? There are two kinds of giving. One is called reason giving, and one is called revelation giving. Reason giving is when you say, okay, there's a special project going on at church, or there's this family that has a need, or, or this mission project, or whatever it is. Honey, how much do you think we can give to that? Well, let's see. Oh, you know, we got, we'll get your paycheck next week, and we'll take out our house payment, we'll take out our food, and we'll take out our insurance, and we'll take out our car payment, and we'll take out all these different things that we have. And, boy, it's not going to leave much left. You know, we could probably squeak out $20, $25 maybe. That's reason giving. Revelation giving is saying, honey, what do you think we ought to give? I don't know. Let's ask God. God, what, what, what do you want us to give on this project? We want to do what you want us to do. It's your money. You promised to supply it for us. What do you want us to do? All of a sudden, you, you pray about it for a while, and God says, I want you to give $300. You faint. You drag yourself up off the floor. Oh, my gosh. What, are we, what should we do? That's revelation giving. That's the kind that fits into God's financial plan for you. Truth number six. It is profitable to give according to God's financial plan. Now, that sounds unspiritual, doesn't it? Even to discuss profit involved with serving God. And I wouldn't bring it up except God brought it up. And so we will. Now, to be sure, this is not our motive for giving, but it is a result of our giving. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So there's a reward for giving. God said it. There is profit in giving. God said it. If you give, God's going to give back to you. And knowing God the way we do, He's a lot more generous than we are. But typically, we get more back from God than He gives, than we give out for God. The Amplified Bible, you might have that one up there. I'm not sure. It says, remember this. He who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. There's the motive. How do we, why, how do we, why do we give? So that blessings will come to somebody. So we can reach a family, so we can reach a life, so we can bring some food to somebody, so we can meet some need in their life. When we do that, 
the Bible promises us it's going to come back to us because it's part of God's financial plan. Giving and receiving goes hand in hand. Matthew, uh, Mark 20, uh, chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has given up and left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the Gospels who will not receive a hundred times as much in this time. That's not in heaven. So, well, yeah, that's the rewards in heaven. No, no. It says you'll receive a hundred times as much in this time. This time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, adults. And the ages to come, you get the eternal life. But right now, you get the hundredfold back. I don't know about you, but that beats my 401k last year. Big time. Not a bad promise. Number seven, and we're done. Truth number seven, God loves happy givers. Say, man, you're talking about all this writing checks and stuff. How can I be happy about that? Yeah, God loves you, happy givers. You know how much he loves it? 1 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man, as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, in the Amplified Bible, listen to it. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, for God loves... He takes pleasure in and prizes above other things and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. Man, when I read that, I love the Amplified Bible because it doesn't, it's not a translation. It's not what somebody said, well, I think this is what the Bible meant. It's not that. It's going back to the original manuscripts, taking the Greek out and adding those Greek words in that translators have left out because of space and so forth over the years. And it gives you the full meaning. And when I saw that, and I said, this says that God takes pleasure in and prizes above other things a person whose heart is in giving. I said, man, I can't do much, but I can put my heart into giving. I can put my heart into giving. And if that means that God treasures me and prizes me above other things when I do that, brother, I'm going to spend my life doing that. Several years ago, 35 years ago, in fact, 35 years ago, we had planted a church. Got up to about the size of this one. Back in those days, we had Wednesday night services. And on Wednesday nights, we had about 30 people coming on Wednesday nights during this new church plant time. I preached a series, six weeks, on exactly this outline. Just It took six weeks to do it instead of whatever time it's taken this morning. Boy, I love that clock being gone. That's wonderful. That doesn't bother me at all anymore. It used to be a big old clock back there. Oh, oh, it's a little one up there. I can't see that far. I'm too old. <laughs> but I preached on it. It took me six weeks to preach on it. We took time all the way through it, Bible studies and so forth. At the end of it, on Wednesday night, I encouraged the folks that were there. I said, look, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what you've learned and put it to a test, as many of you as will. I said, we've set up an account in our church just to give to, to needy people and special needs where, where it'll benefit somebody's life. And I want you to give on Wednesday night 
to fund that account. It's going to be spent not on our budget, won't pay light bills. It's going to be given to somebody else. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to start out by giving a certain amount of money, preferably $10 if you can. Okay, I encourage everybody to give $10. I said, give $10. Our offerings on Wednesday nights should run about 50 bucks. I said, give, you, give, give what you can, but maybe $10 is as a, as a starting point. Some of them did, some of them didn't. Some of them couldn't, some of them couldn't. Some of them gave less and so forth. I said, then you don't have to give anything. We did this for 10 weeks. I said, you don't have to give anything more for 10 weeks until you get that $10 back or whatever amount you gave. Now, if you get back more than that from some unexpected source, then you give the additional because it's not costing you anything. Can you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's what we did. We passed the offering plate and a little bit came in. Some people gave, gave the thing. Next Wednesday night came along. I said, okay, how many of you gave last Wednesday night? And they raised their hands. I said, how many of you got it back already? And it was amazing how many people raised their hands. I said, where'd you get yours? How'd yours come back? How'd you? It was amazing. My wife remember that. It, it, it's amazing where people got that money back from. Oh, I got a check from somebody I hadn't heard from for a long time, or I got the birthday money came later. You know, what all kinds of things. Insurance, refunds. Great. Put it in tonight. They put it in tonight. Next week, we did the same thing. How many of you put in last week? All the people raised their hand. How many got it back already? A bunch of them did. Tell us how. And they told us how again. Boy, this thing started I mean, this thing got to be fun and started to grow. The end of 10 weeks, our Wednesday night offerings were averaging $1,500 and not from any new money. You understand what I'm saying? It was all money that was given from that first seed and gotten back from God and re-given, gotten back from God and re-given, gotten back, except he spoons out bigger than we do and given again. And I cautioned him every Wednesday. I said, don't give anything now that God hasn't given back to you. You know it came unexpectedly. He gave it back to you. Maybe you got a raise. Maybe you got a bonus. Maybe you got something like that. But God did give it back to you. You didn't know it was coming. Then do that. Boy, people got into that. I'd like to tell you that that just kept on going. And, you know, the Wednesday night offerings got to be a million dollars a week. But that didn't, didn't happen. Uh, you know, the devil always gets in and discourages people and says, whoa, man. You know, we gave $100 on Wednesday night. We don't give that much on Sunday. And uh, people got scared. You know how it does. But, brother, trust God. Trust God. Trust God. And just see what he'll do. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Just a moment, Preston's going to come up with a closing music. While he does, I'm not going to have a formal invitation, but while he does, I, I just want to make, make it known that the altar is open for you here. And if you would like to come and just kneel before God privately by yourself and say, Dear God, I'm going to devour this. I'm, I'm going to study this some more, but, but I, I, want, I want you to touch my life this way. I want, to, I want to be used to be a blessing to somebody. I want to be used to, to, to be a blessing to this church. I want to be used to, to help you fulfill the, the goal that you have the, and the purpose for which you are doing everything today. And I want you to use me in a special way. And God, I'm here to get added to your bank account as a co-signer and asking you to guide me and lead me direct me in what I give to you the rest of my life would you do that would you just come to the altar here and do that let's stand as Preston sings the invitation is open for you